The following message by Pastor Tim is brought to you by Together in Christ. We're going to be in Psalm 52 this morning. That's where we'll be today. Psalm 52. And as we approach this psalm this morning, this psalm talks about evil, which has already been talked about a little bit this morning. I know Pastor Spencer had a passage dealing with that as well. But dealing with evil people, or the evil one, the mighty man, the psalm will say at one point, I do not think throughout our history it has ever been hard to find people who seem to enjoy looking for answers apart from God or away from God. I think throughout history that has been the case. I mean, we see it even in Genesis itself, the very beginning, where Adam and Eve would go away from God to try to find their answers, to try to find their source of, of hope even. Oftentimes we will see people like this uh, speak of God in a negative sense. They won't like him. They won't like his word. Or maybe they'll like some aspects of him. Maybe they will enjoy some of the things that he, he says in his word, but there's others that, other things that they don't. And, and so they will go against his word. Sometimes uh, people that we might say are evil would even align themselves with God. They would say they are on God's side. And they might even say things that are somewhat biblical. You'll see the New Testament warns of people like this. But other times it is a stark contrast. It becomes very obvious very quick. Okay, they don't like God. They don't believe in God. They don't like anything of God. And we see these evil people. Many, like I said, would say today that evil's all around us, that it's everywhere. Some might even have a fear of sending their kids off to school because they say that that's evil. That's an evil place. The things that they are teaching are evil. Today we see on the news or we see on the internet, we see it all around us. Those who hate God, those who hate his truths, even parade this around to call it something that should be praised that they go against his word. They brag about their success of going against God and being apart from God and how they excel away from God and how God must not be the answer because look at how, how well they are doing. Look how good they are doing. Look how happy they are. Look how fruitful they are. I'm sure if I were to ask you to think of people who are evil throughout history, maybe many names would uh, come to your mind. Maybe some historical figures, maybe some uh, personal figures, people that you've known. You'd say that person was definitely an evil person. But I think of one, uh, historically, the first thing that came to my mind was Emperor Nero a long time ago and the evil that he would do to Christians and to others. But today, as we approach this psalm, Psalm 52, there's another figure historically that I, wanna, I want us to remember because this is probably, most likely, who David is speaking of, who David is talking about when he writes Psalm 52. And it's, a, it, it's somebody who we've actually studied not too long ago when we were in 1 Samuel. In 1 Samuel chapter 21, we come upon a story of David fleeing from King Saul once again. And David ends up uh, running into or going to the temple and he goes to uh, a priest there. He goes into this place and David kind of 
lies a little bit, says that Saul has sent him there on a journey, that he had to come in haste, and that him and his men are hungry and they need something to eat. And so the priest tells him, you know, the only thing we have is holy bread here. Have you guys kept yourself from women? Have you guys done all these things? And David said, yes, we have done this. And, and so the, the priest there gives him, gives him the food, gives him the bread. David then asks for weapons. He says, do you have any weapons here? Because uh, the king asked for this so quickly and I had to leave in such haste that I could, didn't have time to grab my sword. Do you have anything? And the priest tells him, well, actually, David, I don't know if you remember this, there was this person named Goliath that you killed. You remember that? David says, yes, I have his sword. His sword is here, wrapped up. You can take that sword if you want. It's kind of an interesting story. But within these few verses, verse one through nine of chapter 21, there's this verse thrown in there that seems to be suspicious and might seem like, why in the world is this there? And it tells us in that verse, it says, in hearing all of this was a man named Doeg, an Edomite, who was the head herdsman of King Saul. That's all it says. That's all we know, that there was a man named Doeg there. Well, later, if you go to the next chapter, what we have in 1 Samuel 22, 6 through 10, and also verses 17 through 19, is we have the reason why we were told that Doeg is there. And so I want to read this instead of summarizing it so that you can hear it. So beginning in verse 6, 1 Samuel 22, it says, Now Saul heard that David was discovered and the men who were with him. Saul was sitting at Gibeah under the tamarisk tree on the height of his spear in his hand, and all his servants were standing about him. And Saul said to his servants who stood about him, Hear now, people of Benjamin, <clears throat> will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards? Will he make you all commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? that all of you have conspired against me? No one discloses to me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. None of you is sorry for me or discloses to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as at this day. Then answered Doeg, the Edomite, who stood by the servants of Saul. I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob, to Emelech, the son of Ahitub, and he inquired of the Lord, for him and gave him provisions and gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. Well, this, not reading anymore, just summarizing real quick. This angers Saul a lot. Okay, it gets Saul really mad. And so jumping ahead to verse 17, it says, and the king said to the guard who stood about him, turn and kill the priests of the Lord because their hand also is with David. And they knew that he fled and did not disclose it to me. But the servants of the king would not put out their hand to strike the priests of the Lord. Then the king said to Doeg, you turn and strike the priests. And Doeg the Edomite turned and struck down the priests and he killed on that day 85 persons who wore the linen ephod. And Nob, the city of the priests, he put to the sword both man and woman, child and infant, ox, donkey and sheep, he put to the sword. So as we get ready to read Psalm 52, I want this to be on your mind, this story, because this is the story that's on David's mind. This man, Doeg, who heard, overheard David talking to the priests and what the priests had given to him, then goes to Saul and tells Saul this. And when Saul gets so angry and goes against God and wants all the priests of God killed, where nobody would do it, Doeg noticed the Edomite, not the Israelite, Doeg the Edomite steps up and gladly takes his sword and kills all of them. 
kills absolutely all of them. And not just them, their wives, their children, all their property, everything is slain. So when we think of evil, one name that might come to mind is Doeg. Doeg is an evil man. He's an evil man being willing to do this. And so this is why David writes Psalm 52. So follow along with me in Psalm 52 as we read these few verses together. Why do you boast of evil, almighty man? The steadfast love of God endures all the day. Your tongue plots destruction like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit. You love evil more than good and lying more than speaking what is right. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue. But God will break you down forever. He will snatch and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous shall see and fear and shall laugh at him, saying, See the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I will thank you forever because you have done it. I will wait for your name for it is good in the presence of the godly. We'll break this up into a couple sections this morning, but the first one is verses one through four. In verses one through four, we see the life of the evil man. And at the very beginning of this psalm, David first wants to remind the evil man of his place. And what he does is he compares the boasting of the mighty evil man to the steadfast love of God. And at the end of the psalm, as we read in verses eight through nine, it really, along with verse one, brackets this psalm together very well because he talks about this evil man, but it's bracketed by this steadfast love of God in the reign of God that is forever and forever. And so that needs to be remembered as we go through this psalm and we're talking about this, this evil man and those who are, are evil is that it is surrounded by the love, the steadfast love of God. We've talked about this word that is used for love, the steadfast love of God. We've talked about it uh, actually quite a bit. I try to mention it every time I see it pop up. But the hesed love of the Lord, the hesed love of the Lord, and it's this, it's this love that is very important for us to understand because it's a love that is, is generous. It's a love that shows mercy. It's a, it's a love that shows kindness. And it is a love that doesn't let go. That's the kind of love that is being talked about here. You could almost say it is a love that is not dependent on you. It's his love that he has for you because he wants to have that love for you and he does have that love for you. That's the love that David is talking about here at the very beginning, contrasting with the might of the evil man. This steadfast love of God that is poured down on his people forever. And so I'm thankful that David reminds us of this before really going into the rest of these verses because when we start to look, comparing the steadfast love of God to this evil man, the evil sounds evil. David refers, like I said, to this man as mighty. When I ask you, who do you think of that is evil? Maybe your mind goes to those people who are mighty. I don't mean mighty necessarily as a warrior being able to fight or whatever it might be, but maybe mighty in power, mighty in control. Mighty in whatever it might be. It can be in all different venues. Maybe mighty within the family, within your family. Has a lot of say, a lot of pull, but is evil in the way that they handle that. Mighty within our community, mighty even in the world, whatever, whatever you might think of. We often see these evil men rise up into mighty positions. 
into positions of power. This does happen. This does take place. The Bible even speaks of this. But in talking about the evil, he moves on. It says in verse 2, your tongue plots destruction. Or like, and like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit. Talking about the tongue of this mighty man. Now, everything that the mighty man talks about is just for destruction. Again, if he's thinking about Doeg, and he's thinking about Doeg just slipping in there to King Saul, I know where David is. I know what David did. The whole point was for destruction. The whole point was for ruin, for Doeg to do this and to say this. Maybe you've known people like this in your life. They love to just speak little things, just little things, little seeds in there, here or there. And the whole purpose is not to build everybody up, but the whole purpose is to tear everybody down. Or it's just to lie, it's to deceive, to make them look better, to make them sound better, to put them into a better position. David would go on in verse three. You love evil more than good. You love lying more than speaking what is right. Again, this is seen in those who are evil. It seems as if every word they say is a lie. You have no idea if you can trust them, if you can actually listen to the things that they say in anything, in any avenue at all. They love to lie. Then they continue on, verse four. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue. These words that seem to just devour and to rule. This evil man continues to boast in things that are temporary. This evil man continues to boast in things that are fragile as he's talking about this, these lies and this, this way that he set up his life or the power that he has. It's all based on lies and it's all temporary and it's all very fragile and it could all fall apart really at any moment. But we see this evil man boasting in these things. That's what David declared right away in verse one. Why do you boast, O evil man? Why do you boast of these things? I think you'd agree with me. We mentioned this a little bit earlier, but as we look around at our society today, as we watch the news, as we hear of different things, we definitely see this coming at us from all different areas of our life. The boasting of evil, the enjoyment of evil. We see the evil of abortion in our world, the evil of sexual sin in our world, the evil of domination of other cultures. We see the evils of wars and genocides, and we could keep going on and on, but we don't hear these things oftentimes talked about as things that are sad. They're often talked about as good things that we should honor and lift up and be thankful for. We boast in these things, and we're excited about these things. And it's disheartening when we see this. Because we understand, hopefully as Christian people, that these things that are being boasted in in this world will fall and they will fail. There is no hope in these things. None at all. But yet the mighty man continues to boast, continues to wage war against God in his power. Notice as we talk about the mighty man, as David would talk about him here, he almost specifically talks only of his tongue. Doesn't talk about his muscles. Doesn't talk about his military prowess or his might. He talks about his tongue and the use of his tongue over and over again. We need to make no mistake when it comes to words. You've heard the phrase, sticks and stones may break your bones, but names will never hurt you. That is a lie that you should not teach your children. 
Words are a very destructive and a very useful tool in the hands of evil people. Words tear down, words destroy, words hurt. I would guess if I would talk to you specifically to say, what are some of the things that have hurt you the most in your life? I find it hard to say that you would say, well, I remember that kid threw rock at me, hit me and that hurt. Or he, he got a stick and whacked me with that stick. Man, that hurt. No, if we really started to talk about it, it'd be about maybe a love that was lost and something that they said to you that just totally destroyed you, just completely wrecked you for a long time. Months and months and months, you didn't know how to get over it. Or maybe, maybe it's something your father said to you that you've never been able to let go because he said it to you over and over and over again, and it made you feel completely worthless. Oh, he never hit you. He never laid a finger on you. But he said these things to you all the time. And it just hurts. And it's painful. You know, James talks about this in the book of James, chapter 3, verse 1 through 11. He says, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault and what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? We read things like this in scripture. Remember, we're taught words cannot hurt. And we have found it wise in this world today to give voice to everybody. We thought that that is the wisest thing to do. The best thing that we can do for mankind is to give everybody a voice. Let's let them all speak their mind. Let's let them all have a say. Let's hear from all of them. And we call it social media. And we all dabble with it. We all enjoy it. But if I ask each and every single one of you, you'll all tell me you hate it as well. Can fresh water and salt water come from the same spring? Oh, we're testing it out. We're testing it out, and I dare say we're finding it to fail. Why is it so cantankerous during the political season? Well, it's more so now because of all that. We have to hear about everybody. We have to hear everybody's opinion, and we all want to hear everybody's opinion. The tongue is dangerous. We need to understand that. And mighty evil men know this. And they know how to use their tongue well to slash like razors, to cut deep, to draw in, to confuse, to deceit, to distort, 
This is what they do. And we should not be surprised by it. Wars have been fought. Why? Because of words that have not been said or because of words that have been said. Genocides have happened. Why? Because of words that have been distorted and riled up in an evil man's heart. We can all think of this. It was just yesterday morning I was watching, I don't know, something about World War II. World War II in color, the third or whatever they have. I don't know. They got tons of them out there. It is in World War II in color. And just listening to Hitler's speeches. They were talking about his rise to power and to hear how emphatic he would speak. I have no idea what he was saying because it wasn't in English. But where he could go and take people is astonishing. But at the same time, it's predictable because God's word says words matter. And evil people use words. Families have been broken. Why? Not because of a fight, but oftentimes because of words or the lack of words that needed to be said. Most often when the evil people use their words, they declare justice. They declare truth. They say this is how it should be done. This is what needs to happen. They speak of the greater good and things and they try to persuade people to believe in the lies that will eventually only lead not only themselves but all other people into the pit. They're leading to a place of no hope. Sometimes we see these mighty men and it seems like what they bring into this country, what they bring into other countries, what they bring into our home, what they bring into our workplace, it seems like what they're bringing in is peace. It seems like they're bringing in prosperity or even rest as a result of the things that they're saying. But in the end, this just simply is not true. Look at verse five. But God will break you down forever. He will snatch and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. If verses one through four describe the life of the evil man, this verse here describes the result of the evil man's life. That's what we see here in verse five. The temporary power of the evil man is going to be broken and will be broken. And in fact, we often see this during our lifetime. We have seen this during our lifetime. The God of steadfast love will make sure that justice reigns. The one who thought he was so mighty, the one who was so proud, the one who had so much power in an instance at the hand of God, that goes away. And this happens forever. This happens forever compared to the evil man's reign, which is tiny. Notice how David uses some phrases here that are very important. He says he will snatch and tear you from your tent. Now, this could even be seen as like a a backhanded compliment because he's telling the mighty man, first of all, you live in a tent, not a home. You think you're so mighty. You think you have all this stuff in place, but you don't even have a house. You have a tent and you can't even hold on to your tent because God takes you from your tent and tears you away from it. This image here of God dragging away the evil man away from this sad, piddly little tent where he found his home to be. He has it no longer. Torn away from it. Dragged away because of the steadfast love of God. His once mighty palace torn to rubble. That's how studying this. I couldn't help but think of the images that we saw. I don't know how long ago it was. I guess I should have looked it up. But with Saddam Hussein. 
He had all those palaces, all these things. And where is he found on his last day? He's found in a hole. And he's dragged out of the hole. He's dragged out of that hole. He's built all of this thing up. He, he thought he was so secure. And just in an instance, he was snatched. It was gone. It's, it's done. It's, it's over. This is what happens to the evil man. This is the picture that we have here. But David says it another way as well. He says he will uproot you from the land of the living uproot like a tree torn apart. This once mighty, strong, healthy man uprooted and vanquished and gone with no hope for survival at all. Because if you rip the roots out of a tree, it doesn't survive anymore. It's dead. And so there's this picture of God who reigns forever, uprooting this evil from the ground like a, like a tree, his source of nourishment, no longer available. It's no longer there. It's, it's gone. It's just simply thrown aside and waiting to be burned with the rest of the brush. That's what we have in verse five of the evil man. Oh, you think you're so mighty today, but tomorrow you're in that brush pile that he just hasn't burnt yet. You're just withering away and drying away until the day when you will be burned. I hope when you hear this, you think of Psalm 1 in, in mind here. How in Psalm 1, David would compare the righteous man of being like a tree planted by the river, nourished for all his life, but not so the, the unrighteous. They're like shaft that just blows in the wind. Why? They're dry. There's nothing there. There's no nourishment whatsoever. This is the result of the evil man. Acts chapter 12, verse 21 through 24 gives us a picture of this as well with Herod. It says, on the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robe, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a God, not of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died. Pretty, pretty harsh. But compare this to verse 24. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. You see, there are men and women who believe they have everything under control. Everything they say and everything they do, they think has success. And if it doesn't have success, it's, it's not their fault. It's the other people's fault. They didn't listen to them. They, they, they've grown to power through corrupt ways, through, through wrong ways, through bad ways, things that go against God's word. And they think, I cannot be moved. And maybe you feel that way sometimes too. You look at the evil of this world and you think, it cannot be stopped. There's no way. It cannot be moved. Well, dear Christian, understand, it will be stopped. One day, every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It will be known. He will be worshiped. He will be praised. Justice will be done. <clears throat> we must know that. We must hold that to be truth because his word tells us that. Look at verse six through seven. We have kind of titled this here. Maybe I saw it from somewhere. I don't know. But I called this the obituary of the evil man. The righteous shall see and fear and shall laugh at him saying, see the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction. It's actually pretty heartbreaking 
But I've done many funerals now where I could have read that verse and it been 100% true of the person who was laying in front of me. See the man that all of you liked. He had a lot to say. He owned a lot of stuff. We got a lot of pictures of him smiling with his family. Got a lot of pictures of him camping and on vacation. Got all kinds of fun things with him, don't we? But here lies the man who sought his own refuge in his own destruction. Now what? 70 some years of life, good job. 70 some years of control or of power, what does it mean now? But sadly, this is the obituary for many of people. Notice that it says at the beginning that the righteous see this and what do they do? They fear. Even when they see, even when the righteous people see that God comes and, and, and controls the mighty and destroys the evil, but even they step back in fear of what is happening and what is taking place in this moment. But then it says they, they laugh. Now this isn't a laugh of because look who we are. It's, it's, it's a happiness that God is, that justice is happening, that justice is taking place. And we see the result of that evil man and all their toil to secure their place in this world. It only leads to their own destruction. And then verses eight through nine, where we wrap up the psalm, we see the fruit of God's faithfulness throughout all of this. As David would say, but I am like a green olive tree in the, saint, in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I will thank you forever because you have done it. I will wait for your name for it is good in the presence of the godly. When David wrote this, he's in a difficult spot. King Saul is after him. Doeg has killed the priests. The nation of Israel is not looking very good. And David knows this. He's talking about this evil, mighty man, but he knows that God will break that down and so he ends up talking and worshiping and praising God in verses eight through nine. And again, I hope Psalm one comes to your mind because David compares himself to what? An olive tree that is fully nourished, fully nourished because God is, God is the one nourishing him in the house of God, he says in verse eight. That is what David has here. And so we have this comparison of an olive tree being nourished versus the uprooted tree that is being vanquished and put away and burned the righteous we see here at the end are sustained forever. Not in a tent, not in a tent, but David says what? I'm like an olive tree where? In God's house, in his home, in a place of security, in a place that's everlasting. This is where I find myself as, the, as righteous, David says. The righteousness recognized, the goodness of God. That's what David recognizes here. He doesn't talk about his fame. He doesn't talk about the things that he has done, no. He recognized that his righteousness is in God and the goodness of God in that and the greatness of God's name and his name. And so he lives to worship him always and to be sustained by him always. This should be our prayer as well. But as we get to the end of the psalm, I think it becomes pretty obvious what the psalm is talking about. Evil man, righteous man. And if I were to poll all of you, I'd say, I'd ask you, which one do you want to be? Which one are you? <clears throat> As you look at this psalm, which one are you? I would dare say 90 some percent of you would say, I want to be the righteous man. 
There might be some teenagers in here who are like, I'll take the mean guy for a while. I understand that. You'd get that in some polls. But most of you would say the righteous man. I would dare say most of you, as we're reading this psalm together, just naturally placed yourself in the role of the righteous man. You started to think about all the evil people out there and what they're doing to you. You've been thinking about how they're attacking the church and all these different things. You know, I I listed some of our rallying cry as Christians today with abortion and sexual sin and some other things. And I don't know if you guys said amen. I can't really hear because I'm congested. But that's what we do. We read this psalm and we instantly think of ourselves as the righteous and everybody else as the evil. But we really have to ask ourselves the question, in this psalm, which one am I? Am I more of the evil man or am I more of the righteous man? Because I know for myself, as I read verses one through four, I know I can definitely see myself in some of this. Your tongue plots destruction. How many times I've set up even my own family members to bait them into situations that I knew that they would fail just by using my tongue because I wanted to be mad at them or I wanted everybody to see just how dumb they are. Or how often I find myself loving evil more than good. Honestly thinking, those sinners might have it better because they have no, they're not even, they don't even feel bad about the things they're doing. They can just go do that and enjoy their life. Maybe that is better. You love words that devour. Don't you love just getting somebody with words? Maybe it's just me. <laughs> There's nothing better than proving my wife wrong. Oh my gosh, you kidding me? Uh, Sadly, my daughter has the same quality as me. She said, I'm not arguing with you. I'm just showing you you're wrong. I'm trying to help you, she would say. That's so me. It's exactly what I say. It's exactly how I live at times. Why do I do that? I love devouring them up. I love showing you how smart I am. I love showing you how right I really am all the time. And so it doesn't take me very long as I read this passage. When I really read it and try to compare myself to it, it doesn't take me very long to understand. I think I'm the evil man. Honestly, if I take all my good things and all my bad things, according to Psalm 52, I think David's talking about me. I'm no doeg. I've never took a sword and killed a bunch of people. I haven't done that. I'm no Emperor Nero. I've never done the things that he's done. You can name any other evil person that you can think of in this world. I probably don't match them. But when I look in God's word and I read passages like Romans chapter 3, verse 10, it tells me there is no one righteous, not even one. I start to then ask, well, then I'm definitely not the righteous person in this psalm because there's nobody righteous, not even one. I might not be as evil as Doeg. I might not have a heart of stone like Hitler. But according to God's word, I'm definitely not the righteous man because there is nobody righteous, 
No, not one. Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, he says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> well, when I study about the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, I don't even come close to their righteousness. There's no way. And I think that was the point of what Jesus was saying. And so we have to be careful when we read Psalm 52 because some of us might want to put that up on a banner like that's our flag that we can wave around and say, see, we are the righteous. You people need to listen up. But I understand, no, I must be the evil one. So where does that leave us? What does that mean? There must be no hope. Where can we find this hope? Well, the Sunday school answer is very easy. Our hope is Christ. Our hope is Jesus. Because in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, we see a very pivotal verse that helps us so that we can actually raise up Psalm 52 as a rallying cry. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, the good news this morning is there actually is a way to be righteous. <clears throat> and it's not my, by me telling you this morning, today I want you to go out and do these 10 things. And if you accomplish these 10 things, you will be righteous. God will love you. God will sustain you. His steadfast love will be with you forever. You just got to do these things to be righteous. I don't have to do that today. And I'm glad because you couldn't do it. I could give you one thing to do and you'd fail it. You, you just wouldn't be able to do it. I, go control your tongue this week. Don't speak bad to people. Just do it. You'd all fail. And I would too. But that's not how we become righteous. The Bible tells us here in 2 Corinthians that the way that I become righteous is that I trust by faith that Jesus is this person that 2 Corinthians 5.21 is talking about. That God has made him to be sin for me so that in his death on the cross, his burial and his resurrection, what has happened is now God, when he sees Tim, no longer sees Tim's unrighteousness, Tim's filthiness or Tim's sin. What God now sees is he sees the perfection and the payment that has been, pay, been paid by his son, Jesus. And that's what he sees. And because of that, and that alone, Tim is righteous. It's only because of that where I can read Psalm 52 and really pray honestly to God, God, please let that day come today when you vanquish the evil mighty man. Because I can be assured that's not me because Christ has satisfied that for me. That is the only way. If today in this room you are hoping in something else other than Christ, anything else other than Christ, in, in your good deeds, in your past, in your parents' past, you're like, well, my grandpa was a pastor. If you're trusting in anything like that, well, I'm from the South. If you're trusting in that, whatever it might be, if you're trusting in anything other than Christ, your prayer should easily be, 
God, please don't let Psalm 52 happen today. I'm not ready. I'm going to be destroyed. And that's just the truth of the matter. Apart from Christ, there is no hope. Apart from Christ, there is no righteousness. But thanks and praise be to God, we can be made righteous in him. And praise God, many of you have been. Many of you have been. You know God has saved you by his grace. You remember it back in 1812 when it happened. You remember it. God saved me. I'm not perfect, but he continues to work in my life. I see evidence of it. I see his discipline in my life. I know that his steadfast love sustains me always. Praise God if that's your testimony. Praise God. But I just know there's people here today that's not. You've never trusted in Christ for the salvation for your salvation. You've never trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You continue to try to do it on your own. You continue to beat yourself up. You continue to live in shame, in guilt, in destruction. And listen, it only leads to verse 7. It only leads to your own destruction. Trying to find refuge in yourself or in somebody else. It only leads to destruction. Jesus is the only way, the only way. And I understand that that can be hard to understand. I went to dinner this week with a member here and one of his buddies, and one of his buddies was not of our faith. And just trying to talk to that person about faith was very difficult. This person obviously believed in a works-based salvation, be good to parents, be good to people, God will be good to you. And he said a statement at one point. This guy was hard to talk to. He didn't really want to hear from us too much. We just more, more or less listened. But he said something at one point that I hope he comes to understand was completely damning to himself. He said, I fully believe that one day God will judge me exactly how I judge other people. Really? That's how you want to be judged? Is that really how you want to enter before you face God, well, I know he's going to treat me like I've treated other people because I know if that's me, I'm in trouble. I often think people should be perfect. I think they should get their food to me before I even order. And it should be hot and ready to go. I think everybody who drives should drive just like me and get out of my way. I, do I really want to say God... Go ahead and judge me how I've judged everybody else. That's perfectly fair. It is fair, honestly. But apart from Christ, there's no hope in that. And so if you're living that way today, I'd beg you, I'd beg you to not keep holding on to that as your hope. Trust in Christ. Believe in him. Believe in the one who has taken down the mighty man and who has uplifted the righteous by his own blood, by his own sacrifice. Bow with me this morning. We're gonna close in prayer in a song like we do. It's a time for you to respond to the word of God, however you see fit. I trust that God's word's been implanted to your heart and that he'll speak to you this morning. God, I thank you for justice. God, it can be very difficult 
as believers, I know, to see everything that's going on in our world. It seems in our country specifically a deeper, deeper slide away from you and into just really a pagan culture. And God, as Christians, we grapple with that. We try to understand how to, how to deal with that. But God, help us to remember we're not the first ones to go through something like this. Paul did not live in a Christian culture. Many, many Christians before us did not live in a Christian culture. But yet you still had your steadfast love in their life. You were still faithful. As that verse said in Acts that I read a moment ago, your word still goes forth. So God, help us to stay true to your word. Help us to remain faithful as you are faithful to us. Help us to love people in a way that helps them to see your truths. Help us to be willing to share the truth of your word and your gospel with a lost world. And we pray, God, that you then would work, that we would see you work in their heart and in their lives. And God, sometimes that takes years and years and years in an individual's life. So help us to be patient. Help us continue just to be faithful, loving, and kind, even when that's not shown back to us. God, we do look forward to the day when the mighty man, the evil, is vanquished from this world and it's gone. We get to spend eternity with you forever, with no more hurting, no more suffering, no more pain. God, we look forward to that day. We pray that that day would come very soon. But God, in the meantime, we want to continue worshiping you, honoring you, doing everything we can to be the people you would have us be. So God, now help us to respond to your word how we should, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together, let's sing. You have been listening to a message by Pastor Tim from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.